Take your Bibles out, and if you have them, we'll go to the Gospel of John. Uh, Gospel of John, is the, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, there should be a Bible in front. If you don't have one, if there's not one near you, we'll get some of these verses on the screen for you today. And uh, just as before we get into the, uh, the Bible study this morning, let's take time to pray one more time as we get into His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I just, Lord, I praise You, and I thank You, Lord, for the wonderful work that You did on the cross of Calvary for me. And Lord, I thank you for your sacrificial uh, death. Lord, I thank you for your resurrection, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that today as we go through your word that we would see if we've never made that decision to follow you, we'd see that in our own lives, and our own hearts, and we would make that decision today. And God, I do pray that you'd bless the remainder of the service. We thank you for the songs that were sung. Lord, thank you uh, for the truths that were there as we sing those songs. And Lord, I pray that in this hour that you would be glorified. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles there. John 1 will begin in verse 19 in just a moment. In just a moment, as, as uh, Brother Bob already said this morning, I was already thinking about that. So I got to go quick because now I'm the only thing between you and I guess I've heard 100 pounds of turkey downstairs. And uh, some of you, I just lost you right there. You're thinking, was everybody else going to eat now? You know, but uh, looking forward to fellowshipping downstairs. We do want to invite everybody. You say, I didn't. I didn't know about it or I didn't bring anything. We want you to come too. We want everybody to come down and just for a time of fellowship, we'll have a brief devotion as well in place of the evening service tonight. But uh, we need your help. Please don't leave us with all that turkey. Uh, we need your help with that. So looking forward to that. So um, think of someone who is a hero to you. Uh, think of someone you hold in high regard. Maybe it's someone who's already passed on. Maybe it's someone who's still alive today. But uh, how many of you, right away when I said that, a name popped in your mind right away? Okay, now keep your hand raised if that person has already passed on, maybe. Okay, put your hand down, put your hand up if you thought of someone, but they're still alive today. Okay, now if you thought of someone in both categories, raise both hands. <laughs> How many, again, don't like raising your hands in church? Okay, a couple of you there. So, um, But when you think of someone that you hold in high respect or high regard, you study them. You look at them. Maybe someone who's in history, we read about them, and we will read books about them, and their uh, autobiographies maybe about them, and we want to see, see things about them and study about them. Uh, maybe someone who's still alive today that you want to you study, maybe you watch them. Maybe you see how they act, maybe you watch how they react or how they don't react. Uh, but in Luke 7, we're not there right now, don't, go, don't turn there, but in Luke 7, uh, there's a phrase in there that says there's a a man that is, that is the greatest in all the world, and it's, not ta it's outside of Jesus Christ is what they're, what they're implying there. Can you think of, according to the Word of God in Luke chapter 7, besides Jesus Christ, who is the greatest, greatest prophet, the greatest man that ever have lived? John the Baptist. And this morning, we're going to read from the book of John. Now, John the Baptist didn't re write the Gospel of John. John, uh, John the disciple, or John the beloved, wrote uh, the book of John here, but he's writing in this text this morning about John the Baptist. So just for clarity, so we don't get confused, John the Disciples writing is, is the one writing, but John the Baptist is who he's talking about. Uh, but what makes John the Baptist so great? What makes him so great? He wasn't a politician. He wasn't an athlete. He wasn't famous. Didn't have a lot of money in the bank. Didn't have a wife. Didn't have any kids. And a lot of those things that we listed, not maybe all of those, but a lot of those things, a lot of us inspire to have, inspired to, uh, to do, or to have those successes, uh, he didn't have any of those things. And here's what he did have. John the Baptist had the Spirit of God. 
And maybe the world didn't look at John the Baptist and see that he was very important, but Jesus Christ looked at him and saw a great man. And that's really when it boils down to the end of your life. It doesn't matter what this world thinks of you. It all depends on what Jesus Christ, what you've done with Jesus Christ and what he thinks of you. Uh, And uh, today my prayer is that uh, you'll see through our study in the Word of God today that you too uh, can receive Christ and forever be changed. And for those that have already made that decision, my prayer for you is that you would, uh, as a a born child of God, that you would uh, live a life that is glorifying and honoring to God and not not just (laughs) realizing that Jesus just makes a dent in our life, but Jesus makes all the difference in our life. And we have that glorious message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But I hope that for a believer, those that have Christ in your heart, I hope you make much about Jesus. I hope everything in your life is about Jesus. Everything that we do, the gospel has to be presented. Uh, two things that we're going to learn today about John and, and three things that we're going to learn uh, about Jesus. But uh, John the Baptist, it helps you understand humility. Humility really helps you understand a lot about yourself. Two of the most important things that we can learn from the Bible, and we'll look at them today, but who is God and who are you? Two of the most important things, who is God and who are you? Humility helps you understand yourself, and two things we can learn from John is humility and service. He was a humble servant. John the Baptist was a humble service and a servant. So verse 19, John chapter 1, we'll begin reading. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou, uh, art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. <clears throat> So the Jews sent priests and Levites uh, to see who John the Baptist is. Don't get, don't get confused. John the Disciple is writing about John the Baptist is who we're talking about. So they sent uh, this group of people to figure out who John is. They ask him, are you Christ? Uh, and he says, no. They ask if he's Elias, talking about the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. He said, no. Uh, John was really a little bit of an outlaw cowboy, if you will. Uh, John was Jesus' rural homeschool cousin if you will. I mean, he lived in the desert in the middle of nowhere, and he ate bugs and honey. Is that not a definition of a homeschooler right there? And before you get mad at me, before you get mad at me, I was a homeschooler too, okay? So don't, don't make fun of me. Don't get mad. Those were the goodest years of my life, being a homeschooler. Uh, but uh, he, he never seen a grocery store. He's never been to Costco. He didn't go to the elite schools. He wasn't in the in crowd. Uh, from the outside looking in, he seems like a little bit of a wild guy. Uh, he didn't go to the Christian school, didn't go to Bible college or Bible seminary, didn't get approved, uh, he didn't get commissioned, he just shows up with a message and he starts yelling. Uh, and he didn't even have a church, he just showed up with a message and he starts yelling at really uh, a lot of people. Uh, let me ask you this, so, so if you were to be on outside looking in, many of us, be honest, we would think this guy's not anointed, he's crazy. Uh, there's a fine line between being anointed and crazy, and John's writing that, writing that line, but we know as we look through the scripture this morning, John was anointed of Jesus, uh, of the Spirit of God, and he's given them a message they've never heard before. And he's outside of what, uh, yelling at these people who are mostly, we today would categorize as moral, upright, uh, good people, and he's proclaiming to them to repent. He's pointing people to Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's what the John the Baptist does. And the religious people are asking themselves this question. Who is this guy? What is he saying? What is he doing? He doesn't have our permission. 
So they form this committee, and they go and they find him. They ask him, are you Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? Now, how many of you, be honest this morning, if you were to ask, be asked one of those questions, maybe if they said, are you, are you Elijah? Maybe you would have said, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe I am, because there's a lot of benefits that come with that. Just uh, it would have been, he would have been a, really, a lot of people would have known exactly who he was. And um, if they ask you, are you the ruler of the world? Uh, well, I don't know. How much does it pay? You know, maybe some of us would ask that. But no, we see again, John the Baptist, his humility, his humility. It takes a lot of uh, humility to know who you truly are and know who you aren't, to know what your place is and know what your place is not. And John the Baptist is giving us another example here of his humility. Uh, we would say in today's terms uh, that John was trending. Uh, John was going viral. He walks out of the woods and everyone's paying attention to him. Crowds are circling around him and he has a message. Look at verse number 22 in our text, John 1, 22. Then say they unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself. Another opportunity here. He could point a lot, of, a lot of credit towards himself and build himself up. And in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So referring back to when Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, Messiah, Jesus Christ coming. Verse 24, John 1, 24. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ or Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who's coming after me, is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I'm not worthy to unloose. Look at that phrase, whose shoes latch it, I'm not worthy to unloose. Kind of a weird phrase, right? Uh, we don't really talk like that anymore. Uh, but keep in mind, in this time, in this culture, everybody walked everywhere. Yes, they had donkeys, they had camels, they could, they could transportation, but most of the time, the general way that you would get around is you would walk on those dirt roads with, with your sandals. And so you think about just how dirty the feet are and dirty the sandals are, and historically we know that the person who would unloose the latchet of the shoe would have been of the lowest and lowest of jobs of a servant to do. Uh, it really would have been something that was just really beyond, a lot of people wouldn't even think about, it, it was just the lowest job. And here we see that John the Baptist is literally saying he's not even worthy to do the lowest of jobs. Again, we see the humility of John the Baptist. Uh, and look at, our, look at our text verse here in verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Can you read that last part of the verse with me, starting at the word behold? Let's try this together. Ready? Begin. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I messed you up there. Let's try it again. Ready? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse number 30, this is he of him who I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was... Before me. So here's what John the Baptist is saying. This is the one that I'm talking about. This is Jesus, the Lamb of God. He is the one I'm speaking of. He is the one I'm pointing people to. He is the one that I'm telling you about. Look at verse 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come 
baptizing with water, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 34. And I saw, and he bare record, that this is the Son of God. So now John is kind of recapping here. In the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they go into uh, maybe more depth, if you will, about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. And we see kind of this struggle in the Gospels that really John uh, doesn't really want to baptize Jesus. And what I mean by that is his testimony, right? It's his humble testimony. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoe. And so the question there is he's thinking, I'm not even worthy to to be baptizing the Son of God. And we also today, sometimes we have the struggle of asking the question, why would Jesus, the Son of God, be baptized? Uh, I always thought this, which, which is true, but there's much, more, uh, there's much more to this, but I always thought it's a, it's a picture, right? As we just had a, a baptism this morning, uh, it's a picture of the death, uh, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and um, it's not, it, it's not, it doesn't wash away your sins. Uh, there, baptism does not bring salvation. It's literally an outward profession of an inward possession. It's telling people on the outside what you did on the inside, just like this wedding ring that I wear today. I could take this off. That doesn't doesn't mean I'm not married anymore. I put it on to identify I'm married. Uh, it doesn't, it's not because of the ring that I'm married. It's because uh, of the ceremony that took place. It's not because of the baptism that I'm saved. It's just because of what Jesus Christ has already done. And it's just showing people I identify with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's telling people you identify with Jesus Christ. And that's the first step uh, after you get saved. That's the first step to do after you get saved. And I try to tell people all the time, you get saved. Uh, that should be the first step because if you miss that first step, a lot of times you miss a lot of other areas in your life. And it's the first step uh, in believing Jesus uh, after uh, obeying him and, uh, or, or sorry, excuse me, following him. It's the first step of obedience after making that decision. So baptism doesn't save you. It's just simply showing people on the outside what you've already done on the inside. Uh, but why did Jesus get baptized? Uh, Matthew 3, uh, verse 13, I have these verses for you on the screen. It says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto him to be baptized of him. But for, Verse 14, But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. This, uh, this righteous action that's taking place, Jesus is saying he needs to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And we see here in our study in just a little bit that Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all righteousness. Uh, the life that you and I could never live, uh, the life that we could never achieve, a perfect life, is the life that Jesus lived. The life that Jesus achieved. He lived a life that you and I could never live and he died a death that you and I deserved. What you and I could never do, Jesus did, and Jesus accomplished. Let's look back at verse number 29 of our text, our key verse, John 1, 29, that last phrase, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We're really going to spend some time on that phrase here. And Jesus Christ came to, again to live that life that we could not live and to, to die that death that we deserved on that cross. And when, the, when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, this was a very clear, a very, very clear title that John is giving uh, Jesus Christ, a powerful title, Lamb of God. 
uh, because the Jews recognized for thousands of years uh, uh, they participated in animal sacrifices and, and the lambs that they would sacrifice, right, by the shedding of their blood, it was a covering. It would make a atonement, would be the Bible word, an atonement for their sin, not saving them from their sin, but looking forward to that Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. It was a picture of the Messiah, of the Jesus Christ, who he would come and die for their sin. The Old Testament's very clear that the lamb, uh, they had to sacrifice. It had to be a lamb without blemish, without spot. It had to be perfect. Jesus Christ is that lamb. He came and he lived a perfect life. Did you catch that? So the blood of the lamb that would sac- they would sacrifice in the Old Testament, it would cover their sin. How many understand when you cover something up, doesn't make it go away? Uh, just, this, uh, just the other day, I was not there to, to witness it. Uh, I've seen other kids do this before, some of my other kids, but uh, my, my wife was, uh, Rowan was uh, running around the house being a goofball, being a wild child. He takes after his mother in so many areas. Um, that's not one of them, actually. But, uh, so he's running around, running around the house, and she pinned him in a corner, and Rowan literally just looked both ways, and then just went, <gasps> and just covered up his eyes. And uh, many of you probably have kids that have done that before, seen other kids. But what he, uh, so many times, I, I, my parents are here this morning, but I remember times growing up, my, my mother would say, Caleb, you need to clean your room. And that translated to Caleb. That meant take everything that's on the floor and go put it in the closet and take the blanket and just go over your bed. Don't even make your bed. Just make it look like it's been made. And uh, Mom, I've cleaned my room. Just please don't go in there, uh, especially don't open the closet. But it was still, the mess was still there. So this, this blood uh, atonement they were having that was covering their sin, it was still there. But again, it was looking forward to that, uh, to that uh, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And what does it say? Behold the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Past, present, and future. Jesus had no sin in his life. He was the perfect lamb. And that's number one this morning. Jesus Christ, the lamb who was sinless. The lamb who was sinless. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 12, verse 5, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish. A picture of the sinless life of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you can, and we'll have them on the screen as well, but let's keep your place there in John. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at a couple verses here. But one of Jesus' followers is Peter. One of Jesus' closest followers was Peter. He was part of really what we'd call the inner three. Uh, Peter, James, and John the disciple, really just a, an intimate uh, circle of uh, really just they, were, they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, many of the other disciples as well saw the miracles of Jesus, but Peter, no doubt on multiple occasions, there was a few intimate uh, instances where he was maybe just part of that, very, very private, very close to Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, uh, verse number 21. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Verse 22. Who did, what's those next two words? No sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Uh, that word guile, not really a word that maybe we use so much today, but what Peter is saying is there was no sin in Christ, but there was also no sin in his lips. Uh, he never said anything evil uh, or sinful with his words. And we'll look at just a moment here uh, when Jesus is on the cross, but uh, many times when people would be crucified, uh, they would be cursing back at the crowd as the crowd was cursing at them. And Jesus Christ, you don't find cursing coming out of his mouth. What you find is forgiving words that come out of his mouth. 
Verse number 23 of 1 Peter 2 here, who when he was uh, reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his body on, that, on the tree, talking about the, the cross, that we, being dead to sin, should uh, live uh, unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Many, many other instances. I'll take you to a couple more here. Don't bother turning there. I'll put them on the screen. But 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 John 3, 5 says, And, he, and ye know that ye uh, was manifested to take away, there's that phrase again, take away our sins, and in him is no sin. What we see in just these few verses, and we can go on and on and on in dozens of verses and dozens and dozens upon that to see that Jesus Christ was sinless. He was the sinless lamb. Jesus was without sin. He was the perfect lamb. And what is so important about this is that when we trust Jesus as Savior by faith, his righteousness is placed on our account. His righteousness is placed on our account. And we've, uh, we've already seen we cannot live that life. We can't live that perfect life. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect except for Jesus Christ. He lived that perfect, righteous life that we could not live. And, but when we trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, his sinless life is what is placed on our account. Not only is Jesus Christ the sinless lamb, but number two, Jesus Christ is the lamb who suffered for us. He was the sinless lamb, but he was also the lamb who suffered for us. We see this all throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, uh, prophesied of this. Isaiah, uh, who was referenced earlier in the message about uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 11 says, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Again, he's bearing our sin for us. Jesus Christ suffered and he died the death that you and I deserved. And that lamb that would die in the Old Testament, again, it was a covering for the sin of the people. It was a picture that they needed the blood of that lamb to cover their sin. And Jesus, thousands of years, you know, it was prophesied, Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he suffered and he died in our place. He was the lamb who suffered for us. I think of the, uh, the old hymn that we sing in church periodically uh, that says this about the cross. The cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. The crucifixion was literally the absolute worst, the absolute, one of the worst ways to die. Uh, the Romans had perfected this crucifixion. They didn't invent it. It had been invented about 800 years prior to this. But the, the Romans perfected an effort to cause the most suffering before killing someone. Bring them to the point of death, but not killing them all the way. And sometimes, I think in our minds, if we're not careful, we can kind of picture uh, these big, strapping uh, Roman soldiers that are just these huge, humongous guys that really are kind of dummies that really don't know what they're doing. No, these guys, they were trained, skilled warriors. And they were very good at what they did. Uh, they knew how to make someone suffer as much as possible before they would die. And uh, there's first century historians that said this about the crucifixion. They said it was the most wretched of deaths. 
Now, these Roman soldiers would actually make it a game. They'd make it a competition to see who would cause as much uh, pain and suffering on the individual who was being crucified. Uh, these cruc crucifixions were done openly, and they were done in public, and it was to inflict fear among all the people who were watching this. Jesus, uh, in John chapter 19, we won't take time to go through that, but I encourage you to read through John 19 later. Uh, but John, uh, or Jesus, is, is, is being betrayed by Judas. He's praying in the garden, and uh, Jesus is in great agony. And while he's praying to the Father, the scriptures literally talk about how he sweat drops of blood, a real condition that you could have. But Jesus was literally, his heart was, was breaking, but he was in such, uh, such stress and such agony, just even praying about what he was about to go through. He was sweating drops of blood. And why, did he, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because of our sin. Don't, don't, don't tune this part out of the message. I don't like to talk about my sin. I don't like to talk about how unworthy I am. Uh, I do like to talk about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what I'm trying to give out to you today. But many times people miss it because they think, they think that, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. They can start comparing, and I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, and we'll get to that in just, just a moment. But if you've done any research, you'd find that this is a real condition when people go through those agonizing moments. They, uh, Jesus Christ sweat drops of blood. And uh, when the people came to a Arrest Jesus. He was he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss, and Peter draws out his sword. He wants to fight, and Jesus says, "Put away your sword. My kingdom is not of this world." And in relation to that phrase, there's another phrase that Jesus makes a powerful phrase that every time I hear it, uh, every time I read it, uh, it just it just the chills that go up my spine, and just how excited that we serve a great God. But He says this. He said, "If I could, if I wanted to, I could call ten thousand angels, uh, to, and they could destroy them." But he didn't. And why? Because he willingly went through this for you and for me. But Jesus, the sinless lamb and the lamb who suffered uh, for, and he died for me and for you, he willingly laid his life down. He was betrayed. He was brought to what would be called a mocked trial. Uh, there was fault, false witnesses that came in. It was not a fair trial. And there's people bringing up false reports of Jesus. And Caiaphas, the high priest, becomes so angry uh, when Jesus openly claimed his deity and said that he's the son of God. And Caiaphas is so angry and so uh, wroth. And Pilate, the governor, not wanting to execute Jesus, Pilate literally stated, in scripture, I find no fault in him because he, there was no sin in him. He became sin for us. He was perfect. He was the sinless lamb. And uh, because of the crowd, he wanted to please the crowd and there was an outrage going on. Pilate went along with it and he tried to wash his hands of the incident. His wife even warned him. She had a dream and she was terrified of what Peter was, or Pilate, excuse me, was about to do and what he was going to allow to happen. But Pilate gave the people what they wanted and he allowed Jesus to be scourged and to be whipped. Jesus was whipped with something that they would call a cat of nine tails. And at the end of those nine leather strands that they scourged him with and they whipped him with, where you would find broken pieces of glass and a bone and sharp, sharp objects. And uh, the Romans, again, they perfected this so they could, they could scourge and they could whip someone so much to the point where they could almost bring him to the point of death. Uh, and there's been times that the historians, uh, again, of the first century had said that the Romans, they, 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 uh, they perfected it, but there was a way that you could literally rip somebody in half when you were to scourge them with this cat of nine tails. It was not uncommon to see parts of bone or, or rib or uh, be yanked out of somebody's body uh, with this cat of nine tails. I don't say that to be grotesque. This is what Jesus Christ went through for you and for me. That's what we deserved the one who knew no sin became sin for me the lamb of god 
which taketh away the sin of the world. And he's going through this for me and for you, and there was no fault found in him. And he goes through this, and he's betrayed, and uh, he's beat. And uh, now we, uh, we literally come to the point where we see the utter depravity of man. And when the Roman soldiers scourged him, and when they nail him to the cross, those were things that they were commanded to do. But we see really the utter depravity of man when they began to mock Jesus, and they spit on him. Now, spitting on someone does not hurt an individual, but it's brought one of the most degrading insults you could ever do to someone. And they spit on my Jesus for me. They mocked him. They took a, uh, they blindfolded him. Many believe it would be a burlap sack. And they put it on his head. And they began to take turns punching him. And they made fun of him. And they mocked him and said, if you're really Christ, tell us, tell us who, who's hitting you. And you prophesy uh, who, who hit you. Why did he go through this? He went through this for, for me and for you. He's, keep in mind, these are Roman warriors that are hitting the face of Jesus Christ. They beat him so much that he was, upon, he was beyond recognition. Couldn't even tell who he was. The, uh, they beat him uh, for me and for you. And probably the cross that he now has to force, to, he is forced to be carried, that crossbar of that cross, probably weighing over 100 pounds. And uh, he begins to, uh, to, uh, to carry that cross. And he's been beaten and tore down so much that he collapsed under his cross, that they, and he could not carry it. And they, you know the story. They recruited a man, uh, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross because Jesus could no longer carry that cross. He then was nailed to that cross by his hands and, and by his feet. More than likely, uh, they would go through the wrist and they would go through uh, the, the, the feet. And they would, the way that they had to survive on that cross is they would hang on that cross. Okay? And they would, Jesus Christ, what he had to do to even just catch a breath, he'd have to pull himself up just to get another breath to go right back down to the weight of those nails on his feet. And you think about just every breath that he's taking, what agony and what excruciating pain that he's going through. That word excruciating, we literally get from this account here at the cross, the excruciating pain that Christ went through for me and for you. He was the sinless lamb. He was the lamb who suffered for me and for you. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus in his death would not retaliate, while others, as we mentioned, would curse the crowd. There was no guile found in his lip, no curse words. In fact, the words that we find Jesus say is they're forgiving words. What's he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While others are cursing the crown, Jesus is praying for them. Another statement Jesus makes while he's on the cross is he's hanging between the two thieves and one is mocking him and uh, saying, if you are the son of God, save us and get us down from here. And the other thief uh, believes on Christ and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says this, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, We could spend a lot of time on that statement. A lot of people don't like that account because they say it's a deathbed confession. And I don't think someone can live a horrible life and then turn to God Last minute. Look, I get it. There needs to be a sincere decision. It's not just a a quick prayer that somebody says. But no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, Jesus Christ is willing to save you. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Even if it's a last minute decision, if you're sincere about it, Jesus Christ has the power to save you. There's nothing that we have done that he could not save us from. Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus then, another phrase that he says, uh, Jesus turns to his mother and the next words out of his mouth, caring for his mother. In fact, he speaks to John who wrote the, the text that we, we, uh, we read this morning, turns to John and he says, behold thy mother. In his last moments, he's thinking about other people. He's thinking about other people. 
Uh, he, and then the next phrase that Jesus says on the cross, he says these two words, I thirst. And uh, the soldiers then took a sponge mixed with vinegar and with wine, and some would look at this and maybe think, okay, maybe there's a glimmer of hope of just some kind of uh, mercy uh, on Jesus Christ, and there was not. It was just another opportunity to mock Jesus Christ, and Jesus doesn't receive it. The next phrase the, um, on the cross that Jesus says, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in that moment, all of sin, sin in the past, sin in the present, sin in the future, the sin was placed on Jesus Christ. The father had to turn away because he could not look at the sin that was placed on his son. The next thing Jesus says after that, he says these words, it is finished. It is finished. What a powerful phrase that he says here, and, and, and it could be translated to the words to telestai. When Jesus is saying this to telestai, he's saying, I have finished the work. It is done. It is finished. These words are, are so powerful. It's been discovered and researched that uh, back in ancient times that that word to telestai had been found on ancient documents uh, that the Romans would literally stamp that word at the top of a page of someone that a debt that had to be paid and they would stamp that word to telestai. It is finished. Their debt has been paid. A debt is paid in full. So when Jesus is saying those words, he's literally saying it is finished. The debt has been paid. And all of that pain and all that suffering, all that shame uh, for your sin, the debt had to be paid. Our sin, our anger, our lust, our lying, our selfishness, our bitterness, the list goes on. All of that sin was placed on Jesus, uh, on Jesus Christ. Why? So that we, uh, that we can achieve salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a great insult when we think that we can achieve our own salvation. Maybe people say, well, maybe if I'm really good, I'll go to heaven. Maybe if I am a good neighbor, maybe if I'm a good coworker, maybe if I'm a good brother or son or uh, wife or mother, and the list goes on. Maybe if I'm really good or I'm not as bad as this person over here, maybe I can go to heaven. Can I tell you this morning, you don't go to heaven because you're good, and you don't go to hell because you're bad. You go to heaven because what you've decided to do with Jesus Christ. Receive his gift of salvation, and if you reject it, the latter, you go to hell for eternity. Jesus Christ said it is finished. It is finished. But that's the good news. That's the gospel. It's what we're talking about this morning, that the good news is Jesus Christ has already achieved that salvation for you and for me. He's achieved it through his sinless life. He's achieved it through his suffering and his sacrificial death death on the cross. It is finished. Then the soldiers would go uh, later in the crucifixion. They'd go and they would go break the legs of uh, those people who they were crucifying because they wanted to. The, they wanted it to be over because they kept pushing up to breathe. So they'd go break the legs so they couldn't do that anymore. But when they came to Jesus, uh, they did not break his legs. They took a spear and they pierced him in the side. And fulfilling scripture, they didn't even know, but fulfilling prophecy that not bo- one bone would be broken in his body and that his his side would be pierced. And Jesus died in our place. Not only Jesus Christ is the lamb who was sinless, but Jesus Christ, the lamb who suffered for us. And lastly, and I'm done, Jesus Christ is the, the lamb who sacrificed himself for us. He sacrificed himself for us. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Jesus suffered. Jesus sacrificed himself willingly for me and for you. But the story does not end there. On that third and glorious day after being in the grave, he rose up again as what we would celebrate today as Resurrection Sunday and as what the world would call Easter Sunday. But Resurrection Sunday, we serve a risen Savior. 
He's not in the grave anymore, and he's alive, and he's in heaven, and he's waiting to come back for those who are the child of God to rapture them out of this place, for those that have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone to save him. And uh, let me just say it this way. <laughs> As Jesus conquered sin, he conquered death, okay? All sin will be punished. Many times we'll say, well, what about this person over here that did all this, this wickedness and he, uh, they, they, they did this horrible, and we could go on with all this list. And you're telling me, I've had people have this conversation with me, you're telling me that this person who did, and they list all these heinous crimes, you're telling me if this person turns to Christ and accepts Christ as their Savior, that they'll go to heaven? Yes. But what about this person over here that did not do anything bad, but they never turned to Christ? It doesn't matter, because only Jesus Christ is the one that paid the debt. You can't do anything on your own. It's almost, it's almost as funny as like literally bringing something that uh, is just, uh, just, just garbage and bringing it to something that's just a beautiful masterpiece and saying, look what I've done. It's, it's nothing in the eyes of, of God, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his robes of righteousness that we get to put on, when I walk into the presence of, uh, of my heavenly father, he doesn't see Caleb Schnur's sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And I asked, you, I asked you these questions at the beginning, two of the most important things that we can learn in the Bible. Who is God and who are you? Can I ask you maybe one more question? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? See, there's two categories, those that accept him and those who reject him. What a, probably a really terrible illustration, but I'm really good at telling bad illustrations, so here we go with another one. But if you had this incredible debt that stacked up hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and someone came in and says, you know what, I'm going to pay all of your debt. Now, maybe the cordial thing would be, oh, no, no don't worry about it, right? Or, oh, no, don't. You'd be a fool to say no to someone paying thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Can I just say, again, a bad illustration. Today, your debt has already been paid, but it's a gift that is waiting for you. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It goes on to say in Romans 6.23, but the wages of sin is death. What I deserve for my sin is not just a physical death, but a spiritual death in a place called hell. But the second part of that verse says, but, I love that word in that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There also in Romans, it says, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, he showed, he demonstrated, he proved his love. God commendeth his love toward us that while I was yet a sinner, while we were yet sinners, what did he do? Christ died for us. Romans 10, 13 says this, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say for whosoever lives a good life, cleans up their life, does okay, will receive, no, for whosoever shall call Upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And can I just say to you this morning, the Bible also says this in Scripture, today is the day of salvation. I've talked with many people that have said, you know what, i got to get some things in order in my life. i got to clean some stuff, i got to get some things out, and then I'll turn to Jesus. Can I just tell you, you can't do any of that on your own. Jesus Christ is the one that comes in and makes all the difference. He's the one that comes in and washes away your sin. He's the one that gives you a newness of life. He's the one that puts the song in your heart. And I say all that in the context of, why would you ever reject that gift. A lot of times when I'll give the gospel to someone, I'll say at the very end, and I always kind of hesitant on asking this question because there's been a few times when people have said, yeah, I could think of a couple reasons, but I'll go through the gospel and I'll tell them, hey, salvation, as we went through those verses, it's as simple as A, B, C, admitting you're a sinner, B, believing Christ died for you, and C, it's a choice. 
choose to take that gift or you choose to reject that gift? Can you think of anything, anything else worthwhile, earthly speaking, that would want you to reject this eternal gift of eternal life? Most of the time, the answer is, I can't think of a reason, and there is no reason. Most of the other reasons is the stuff that the devil wants to put in and discourage you from making that decision because the devil tries everything he can to keep you from becoming a child of God, does everything he can to make, to make it seem like this life is super comfortable. There's money in the bank. I got success, success in my job. Everything's going great. Earthly speaking, be eternally, you're, in for a pla- you're destined to a place called hell. Now, that's not really an encouraging news to tell someone when you first meet them. Hey, everybody's a sinner. Everybody's on their way to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a choice. So can I ask you, we ask that question, who is God and who are you? But I want to ask you that question, what are you going to do with the gift that Jesus Christ has made for you on that cross. He was the sinless lamb. He was the lamb who suffered, and he was the lamb that sacrificed. And praise God, he was the one that is resurrected today and is calling out to you today, and today is the day of salvation.